It's good to see all of you here this morning, and I hope that you're having a great weekend so far. I've been thinking uh, recently about the things in life that matter most. You know, the most important things, and I'm sure when I'm saying that, there may be things popping in your mind, but I'm talking about the most important things, and um, like Carolina football being one of those, you know, um, most important things. I know all of you don't agree, but we've got a lot of students here, and I'm telling you what, I thought about seeing if the orchestra would start playing Sandstorm and we could just all get up and relive the moment. Might be a little weird, so we're not going to do it. But uh was thinking that that could provide this great excitement because, I mean, Thursday night, I'm telling you what. My, some of you, this was your second game to a Carolina football game as a student. My second game as a Carolina student, we lost, and then we lost the next 20 games after that. Um, <laughs> as a USC student, but that's all changed, you know? And so as of Thursday night, I was just sitting there like, if I could just put this on pause right now, you know? Just the feeling, the loud, the noise, just the everything, because it matters so much, right? Carolina football does in the scheme of things. Well, you understand what I'm saying. To me, it matters, and maybe to some of you, but it's such an important thing, I guess. And then another thing for me, if you know me, most of you don't, but if you did, this time of the year, there's something that just matters so much to me that I really could schedule my whole day around it. Morning, morning, late morning snack, lunch, late afternoon snack, dinner, midnight snack, and it's this thing called the Starbucks Pumpkin Spice Latte. I don't know... If you've ever had this thing, but it is, I'm telling you what, I know it's ridiculously overpriced, but I, it's just the thing that I have. I have to have, and normally I invite everybody that you should try it, but don't try it, because some of you may not like it, but if you do, it'll probably mess up your week, because you'll just have to spend more money and more time going by Starbucks, which is what I do, because I, I'm, I'm not even kidding you, I take the first drink, and it's just this overwhelming emotional feeling, sometimes tears, sometimes a song comes out, and... Um, a few weeks ago, they introduced it for the season, and um, I had a bunch of friends that brought by. Officially, it was 13 pumpkin spice lattes and um, frappuccinos to my office for the day. Just I didn't drink all of it, almost, but not all of it. But I, I know you don't understand, but it's just something that matters to me, okay? And I, I don't know what it is for you. Of course, you know that I'm joking, but uh, this past Friday, I did... Um, uh, get to experience one of those things that matters most. I um, turned 30, the big 3-0 on Friday, and uh, so my joints are getting stiff or whatever all that is. But uh, anyways, that was this past Friday, and my wife was taking me out for a you know, dinner, and so she was driving, and um, we, we go to um, Bush River Road. She pulls off and parks suddenly in a random um, Walmart parking lot, and I'm like, huh, and she hops out, and all of a sudden two strangers, I'm just kidding, two of my closest friends uh, jump in, and they blindfold me, and they take driving me around Columbia, and uh, it was a great experience, and I uh, really enjoyed that, and uh, then all of a sudden I'm heading up to um, my uh, the destination. I get there, and I'm blindfolded. They usher me out of the car, walk me up, everybody's quiet, I'm assuming people are around, and um, all of a sudden a door opens, then I hear just something that matters a whole lot to me, and it's one word, and it's da-da, like that. Um, I know, if you say that, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but if um, my son says that, and it was Caleb, and you know, I'm blindfolded, but I know, I know who it is, and that's one of those things that really matters, they take off the blindfold, there's Caleb, my wife, my family, and friends, and you know, of course, people um, are what one of the things that matters most to me. And so here I am able to celebrate Friday night um, for a big birthday party um, with my friends and family, those that really matter most to me. But I was just thinking about that, things that matter. And, you know, if you were to, if I were to ask you the question, what matters most to you, you probably could come up with some great answers, you know, the things that matter most. And we'd all be like, you know, that's so honorable that that matters to you. And some would be like, I don't know why that matters to you. But you, you would think of things. This is the difference, though. I think 
that the way you answer it, and if we just observed your life, we would point out maybe some other things that we think matter most to you based on the way that you live. I'm sure that it could be said about me. I could quote some things that matter to me, but really how I live determines what matters to me. And if we were to be honest, I think that um, we would point out that our actions do speak louder than words. And uh, what we would see that matters most of us is something totally different. And it's really all of the stuff of life, you know? I think what matters to us, or the way that we live at least looks like matters to us, is getting money and stuff and possessions. And then, of course, making sure that we look good. And, you know, uh, power, I think, matters to us. And in the end, I think we'd all like to be famous um, uh, somehow. And that kind of matters to us. I want to be known. I want to be the envy of other people, you know? That's kind of deep down in there probably somewhere because that's what's driving us and I think it's what's kind of orchestrating our life pushing us along that's what really is mattering to us I think we can sum that up by saying we just kind of want the whole world that's what we really want is the whole world I want all the stuff that I want all the power that I want all the I just want the world you know if we're honest I think those are the things that matter most to us on any given day I think we position ourselves to gain all of these things. As a matter of fact, I think it's the game that we play or played while we were in college. Um, you know, you try to look good, you know, try to get noticed, and you try to notice the people that you want to notice on campus because they're attractive or they look good, whatever it is. And we, then we try to do enough just so that we could get by, so that we can get a good major, and from that we can get a good graduation diploma, a good job that pays good money, you know, and somewhere along the way have met a good spouse, and then we can live the good life. And that's really how we orchestrate our whole lives, you know. I think that's kind of what college is like is we're just pushing along and trying to do that at least it was for me I feel like but um, and in the end we just want to have it all to have all the world and we really would like to be famous you know maybe we make fun of people for reading the tabloids but we would like for people to read about us in the tabloids not the bad stuff but just because we were in the tabloids that means we were famous you know so I think kind of deep down that's a little bit of the drive that's there but if people were to judge us by the way that we live I think really this is what looks like matters most to you and to me. Because that's how we position our lives. That's what we're always after is more stuff, more money, security, my life. I want to protect my life. Well, Jesus spoke about this, of course. And um, he talks about the stuff that creeps to the front of your mind to be the stuff that matters most. The thing that drives you that is a distraction. And Jesus, like he always does, offered an alternative way to live. He, uh, he offered an alternative solution for you here, an alternative chance here. And it's on a day when he's out teaching, his followers and his closest disciples are there. And um, he decides to talk about his own future while he's there. And it's Mark 8, and it's beginning in verse 31. And he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. I mean, that's probably not something we want so much, you know, is to be able to say that someday we're going to have to die. We're going to be killed, you know, maybe to come back to life because then we'd end up in the tabloids possibly because that would be a good story. But we don't really want to be killed, but that's what Jesus is saying. And then uh, verse 32, he spoke this word openly. Jesus said that. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And Peter is kind of the ultimate PR man. I was a public relations major at Carolina. And that's what Peter's doing, the PR job here. And he's pulling Jesus aside and he's probably being like, you know, I'm not quite sure these are the talking points that uh, you should spend some time with. Not the I'm going to die or I'm going to be killed thing. That kind of hurts morale here. Maybe if we could talk about the positive things like miracles or all the things that you're going to give us whenever we enter into your kingdom. Let's kind of stick to that. And that's Peter for you. And um, so he's telling Jesus this. And then verse 33, but when he had turned around and looked at the disciples, 
He rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And so um, Peter, uh, like the other disciples, kind of thought that his job was to protect and guide Jesus. But really, Jesus said, Lay down your nets and come follow me. And they were just supposed to follow. And Peter may have known that Jesus was the Messiah. But at this point, he was seeing everything the way that a man does, and rather than the way that God does, which is all of our distraction. We look at the rest of our life, the world, everything, through our own eyes, rather than through the eyes of God. And then he goes on, um, pick up in verse 34. And when he had called the people to him, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Oh, the questions that Jesus asked. They pierce straight to the soul. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that you do shatter maybe our outlook on life. And God, now as we look at your word and just kind of uh, try to apply it to our life and look for the truths that you would teach us this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts and our mind to the wisdom that you have to offer us. And God, that you would be glorified in this time that we have here together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we read that Jesus makes the case for what matters most in life. Because he says, here's the deal, Jesus has always been so good at refuting the knowledge or the beliefs of the day. He would say things like, you've heard it said before, and then he would say what everybody else was saying. And he said, but I say, and he would challenge it completely. And he was very good at that. That's what any rabbi would do. And he was a great rabbi. And so, of course, he was doing that. And Jesus, being the greatest rabbi ever, makes this crazy claim. He says, you want to save your life, but you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll save your life. So what's Jesus saying that matters most? Jesus is saying, it's me. It's Jesus. Jesus is what matters most. Lose your life for Jesus' sake, if you really want to save your life. Because that's the important thing, is Jesus. And I know you're thinking, that's just what we expected to hear at a church, you know, that Jesus matters most. You know, and it's so typical, the answer from the church. And I know that this is kind of the tune-out point for you, because you're thinking, you know, some of you probably grew up in church, some of you probably attend church here every week, and you're saying, you know, I've heard this all before, you know, and here comes the Jesus part. And you're thinking, sure, I want Jesus. I want a big old helping of Jesus in my life. But I want my life, too. And if somebody's going to try and give me the trade here, you know, I'll give you Jesus if you give me your life. You know, and you're thinking, ah, I'm, I, I kind of want Jesus there, too, but I'm not ready to make that trade. Maybe 10 or 15 years down the road, um, you know, maybe I'll think seriously about that Jesus card in my life. But here's the deal. This is why this is so important, and this is why we're talking from this passage of Scripture. My fear is that Jesus' words actually may be true. And 10 to 15 years of trying to acquire the world may actually jeopardize your soul or may jeopardize your eternity. See, there are plenty of people here that want to follow Jesus, but in a moment of pure honesty, we would probably tell you that I'm more concerned with saving my own life than I am with losing my life for Jesus. I'm more concerned about living the comfortable life to getting the stuff I want, feeling good about myself, make, you know, being the envy of everybody else, than I am about sacrificing my life for Jesus and letting him take control because he's what matters most. I get focused on me whenever he's the big picture, you know? I think that any of us in a moment of honesty would say that. But Jesus is saying, I matter the most. I'm the most important. And you know what? I think he has a pretty good argument right now because Jesus is the son of God. He's God with flesh on, you know, God who stretched himself into skin. 
So he's God in the flesh, and that means that he created the whole world and everything in it, so that makes him pretty important. You know, we think that tigers and gamecocks are pretty good mascots, but he was like, hmm, tiger, make a good animal. And he makes an animal, and he calls it a tiger or a gamecock and makes it an animal. You know, he, he created everything. He created, you know, we, we don't really think about oxygen a lot, but he created oxygen. He came up with the idea. And he took and he balanced out in all of the atmosphere, all of the chemicals, the gases that would need to be there so we could survive and we could breathe. And most of us don't think about breathing, but God does. He keeps us breathing. He keeps our heart pumping. You know, he wakes us up in the morning, opens our eyes, brings the sun up, gives us life. So God really matters. And it just all of a sudden makes sense is that really not only does he matter, he matters most. He's the most important thing because he holds everything together, including me. Colossians 1.17 says he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is saying the most important decision that you're going to make with your life is not how to save it, you know, what I'm going to do after I graduate, what kind of job I'm going to take, what kind of money I'm going to make, who I'm going to marry. Those are not the most important decisions that I make in my life. The most important decision that I'm going to make in my life is what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to ignore him? Am I going to reject him? Or am I going to follow him? And so that's what he's basically saying to all his followers there. He's saying, you're trying to save your life, but you're going to lose it. If you want to save your life, then you'll lose it, your life for my sake. And then you save it. That's what he's saying. And Jesus calls all of those that are following him. And he explains to them, from his perspective, the best way to follow Jesus. Now this is real important for us right now. Because I know that... You're all here for different reasons. Some of you were made to come. Some of you, your parents brought you. Some of you grew up here and just don't even think about it. You just come to church on Sunday. But we're all here for different reasons. But just to consider it, for the most part, we're probably all here because we're saying, you know, maybe I would like that huge helping of Jesus in my life. Or I would like to follow Jesus at some level. So if that's what you're saying, then this is really important. Because Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to follow me, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you my perspective on it. And so that's what he does. Verse 34, he says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, you're here. And so the question is, do you want to follow Jesus? Well, I think following Jesus, he points out, requires three different things. And the first thing that he, Jesus points out that following him requires is putting aside Selfish ambition. It's denying yourself. And we've talked about all these things, that these desires that we have in our life, you know. I remember whenever I was in college, coming into college my uh, uh, freshman year, and I had all these goals and plans that I'd marked out for my life, you know. And I, I really was trying to map it all out so I had the right major, the right minor, could um, graduate, and I could get a good job. And I was planning for all of those things because I had my goals. But then I kind of got interrupted with God's goals for my life. You know, and I had to make a decision. And am I going to deny myself or am I going to take myself and just put Jesus on the back burner or put God on the back burner in my life? What am I going to do? And that's all of us. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to remove those, that selfish ambition. And we all have selfish desires in our life, you know. Jesus says, you can't just follow me and those desires at the same time. It doesn't work. You'll either follow me or you won't. You'll either follow me or you'll follow someone or something else. And he's saying, so you've got to get rid of the selfish ambition. And then number two, he's saying that you have to be willing to say whatever the cost. And if you think about it, to surrender to a cross is the ultimate verbalization of whatever the cost. Now, we're familiar with the cross because we've 
read about it, heard about it. But these people that were listening to Jesus, they also knew about the cross because this was actually used in their day whenever they would crucify criminals. And so whenever Jesus said, you have to take up your cross, I'm sure they were like, okay, I know what a cross is, but my cross, is there a cross waiting out there for me? You know, am I going to be, is it all going to end with all of us being killed? You know, just not knowing, you can imagine it's had to be confusing. But Jesus is saying, whatever the cost, you have to say, if that's the cost, then I'm willing to follow. And the disciples and the followers, they were familiar with this. But he's saying, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and then be able to say, whatever the cost, I'd rather follow you because I've decided Jesus matters most. And then the third part is that he said, you have to follow me. And when he said follow, he meant once and for all. Now, I don't know about you, but pretty much every day I have to decide whether I'm going to take up the cross. And most of the time I base it on convenience. You know, is it convenient today to take up the cross or would I rather do something else with my life today? But Jesus said, you can't do that. If you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow, which means that we have to follow Jesus every day of our life. Well, verse 35, he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, which is his or herself, his ambition, becomes willing to say whatever the cost or decide to follow once and for all. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Here's the deal. I know that you know, we're talking about all this stuff or kind of just theoretical idea of what we're gaining when we save our life. Well, if you save your life, if you cling to everything in life or you hoard to every, everything in your life or you get all you can for yourself, then without a doubt Jesus is saying you're going to lose everything. And this is a fundamental law of life. It is absolutely unbreakable. No one can break this law. If you save your life, says Jesus, you will lose it. You will find that you have everything you could have ever wanted, but you will not want anything that you have. If that's the way that you live your life. Verse 36, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? You know, I was thinking about that verse, and I was thinking, does that change if we drop the last four words? Does the answer change if we drop the last four words? You know, in other words, if we just ask the question, is it good or what good is it for a man to gain the whole world? If we just leave it there, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world? What good is it for a man to have everything? All the money that he's ever won, all the fame, all the power, all the pleasure. What good is there in that? And if we're honest today, which is what we're talking about, being honest with ourselves here, if we're honest, gaining the whole world is the stated or probably unstated goal of every person in this room. Because I think, it's, I think it's part of our life. We want to gain the whole world. We want it in the end, you know. We want everything. And so if, it's, if we're just asking what good is it, it's a whole lot of good, you know. Because I graduate and I get just what I wanted. I get, I get the degree. I get the perfect spouse. I get the perfect marriage. I get the perfect job. I get, the, you know, all the right amount of stuff that I want. The perfect family. I, I just get the good life. So what good is it? It's a whole lot of good, if that's the only part of the question that we have to ask. And so, and so the question's posed, what is it? You know, I mean, what good is it for you? Wouldn't you like to gain the whole world? Wouldn't you like to have an unlimited amount of dollars to be able to purchase anything you ever wanted? Or wouldn't you like to be famous, you know, have more Facebook friends than anyone else on the planet? You know, wouldn't you like that? Or wouldn't you like to have unchallenged power, be able to do whatever your heart pleases? And, or wouldn't you... Wouldn't you love to have ceaseless pleasure, you know, an everlasting feeling of pleasure, Thursday night on pause, you know, wouldn't you like that? Well, now in our minds, we're maybe imagining the most wealthy or the most powerful or the most famous or the most attractive, but that's not all that we're talking about here. Any of us can have a drive to acquire the world at some degree, 
It might be more stuff, you know. Maybe more stuff than you have right now. It may be more money than you have right now or more money than most people. Or maybe it's a position of power, climbing the corporate ladder, you know. Or just a little more in life. We'd all like just a little, the whole world just one bite at a time. I think that's kind of our little bit of a drive. Because on the surface, to gain the whole world is a whole lot of good. It's really where it's at. You know, we read magazines about those people. They, they have 24 hours news that we can watch. And all of a sudden they have a funeral and the whole world stops, you know. That's the kind of life. And so there's a whole lot of good on the surface. These are the lives we would do anything for and that's the problem. Because what's it going to cost you? What are we exchanging for the type of life that gives us the whole world? What are we exchanging? Well, Jesus says we trade our soul. To gain the whole world, we trade our soul. You know, I love um, playing tricks on people. <laughs> I would have liked to have been the one blindfolding somebody. I like that whole thing. But I don't really like it when they're played on me. And uh, I did enjoy it in the end of the party. But I don't like having tricks played on me. Well, here's the deal. There is a huge trick being played on all of us. It's telling us that gaining the whole world is not harmful. It's that this is what everyone wants. It's the American dream. Everybody's doing it, you know. It's admirable in the end. We have state funerals for these kinds of people. It's admirable to gain the whole world. But Jesus is saying, if you gain the whole world, that means you're forfeiting your soul in the process. If that's your goal. Well, I think in the heart of every person, every man, every woman, is a cry that says, you know what, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something bigger. Got to be something else going on. It can't just be about life, you know, just the small things in life. It can't just be about getting more stuff. It can't be just about, you know, all of the things of life that occupy our time. I think that cry is happening in all of us today. There is something more worthwhile with our lives than attempting to gain the whole world because in the process it's going to slip through the fingers and be revealed to be what it truly is which is meaningless Solomon the wisest man said meaningless meaningless it's all meaningless so the question is is there some, isn't there something bigger and Jesus is saying yes there is something so much bigger than gaining the whole world it's your soul in verse 37, actually, after that, Jesus asked, what could you trade your soul for? And Charles Spurgeon uh, once said this. He said, the soul is a thing worth 10,000 worlds. In fact, a thing which worlds on worlds heaped together like sand upon the seashore could not buy. It is more precious than if the ocean had each drop of itself turned into a golden globe for all that wealth could not buy a soul. Consider, the soul is made in the image of its maker. God made man, it is said, in his own image. The soul is an everlasting thing like God. God has gifted it with immortality, and hence it is precious. To lose it, how fearful. So the soul, that's what we trade in the end. But it's the thing that's worth everything else. It's worth more than we could ever put together. So during a time in your life when I'm sure you have a lot of other things preoccupying your life, you know, you're making decisions through a different framework, and I'm sure you've all got, you know, thoughts in your head of what you're going to do after you leave here today, and, you know, what needs to happen. Some of y'all just came out of exam week last week, did, you know, a bunch of exams, and you're thinking about all the things you need to do, all the things that's occupying your life. But I want to close by inviting you to consider your soul, to think about your eternity, 
As much as we want to celebrate just the charitable acts that have been done by the fraternities and sororities, I want you to consider something spiritual today. We're here to help take care of those spiritual needs that you face. Is there something that God would have for you to learn today? Well, in Mark 8, 31, we already read that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This whole soul thing takes shape in this verse. Because Jesus is saying, at some point I'm going to be rejected by all the spiritual leaders. And then they're eventually going to kill me. But then I'll come back to life. Well, I think there are two reasons that made Jesus have to die. That made him have to be killed. And the first one is because of sin. All the wrongs of mankind. Everything we've ever done wrong or said wrong or thought wrong. All of the guilt that you bring in here with you. All of the wrongs, all of your past, even your future and your shortcomings. All of those things, whether you do them, you say them, you think them, or your friend does or your family does. Those things, that sin said that someone must die. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Well, God being perfect and holy, he set up standards for men and women. To live by, and throughout history, every person has failed, you know? They see, they see the standards that have been set up, and they fail miserably, you know? Well, those sins came at the price of a punishment for death. So Christ on the cross, him having to die, it's finishing that circle of sin. Now, all of a sudden, the circle has taken place. We ha- he had to die. We sinned. He had to die because of that. So his death provides the way for us to now receive forgiveness from God and have a relationship with him. So the first one is because of our sin. The second reason I think Jesus had to die, in some ways, is so much more powerful. The second thing that drove him to the cross was the unfathomable love of God. What I like to call love beyond reason. That is why Jesus had to die. You know, this world doesn't love you or me really. (laughs) You know, it could take or leave us. But Jesus came and showed us just how deep and passionately God loves you and God loves me. In spite of our sins, he loves us. In fact, in the middle of our sin, Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, you know, I don't know what you're bringing in here with you today. I don't know what comes in here with you. I know you walk through this room, but there's probably some unseen burdens on your shoulder. You know, it may be a lot of guilt from your past. Maybe it's secrets that you've kept or secrets that very few people know. That you walk all of a sudden in a church and it's just at the front of your mind. You're like, Ugh, I just feel so much guilt being in here. Or maybe it's a lot of anger. Maybe you bring in anger because of past experiences with the church or with people involved in a church. Or maybe you come in here with a lot on your, burden, on your shoulders, just this frustrations about the future. Because all you can think about is, what am I going to do with my life? You know, Or things aren't working out like I planned for them to be. And you've just got, you're carrying that. Or maybe you're bringing in here just a deep desire to succeed. You want to be successful in life. And you're thinking, it's just driving you crazy. Maybe it's perfection that you've brought in here. You know, your drive for perfection, to be perfect at everything you do. You know, to all, everything that you do or say, you know, whether it's in your chapter or in your family or in your classes, all of those things, it's just this drive for perfection. For perfection. Or maybe you come in here with a lot of confusion. Because you don't really know what to do with God or Jesus or what all of that means. And I think some of you probably walked through these doors today 
whether you've come in here before or not, with a whole lot of hopelessness, that you're feeling hopeless when you consider the future. And some of you come in here with pain, maybe because it's a loved one that's dying or one that has passed away. Or maybe you come in here with a lot of questions. Some of you probably come in here with a cry for help that nobody hears. Well, you know, money, power, fame, possessions doesn't, take, doesn't do anything for those things. As a matter of fact, it only causes more burdens. Well, this is called a sanctuary for a reason. Because there is true freedom here. All the shackles of burdens and pain and guilt and the past, all of that can be released in the arms of Jesus. I don't know about your baggage today, but I do know something about God's love. The unfathomable love for you and your friends and your family. Love for me and for all of mankind. Love that wanted to release you from all of those burdens. A love that wants to embrace you and to greet you with all of that baggage that you're bringing. And it wants to take care of that drive that you have to gain the whole world. And I know about God's love, a love that could provide a way for you to find meaning in life, to find true life actually, and and an unquestionably secure future and eternity. That kind of love. Love that sent God's own son to one of the world's most torturous devices to take your place and my place. So Jesus died. He carried a literal cross, his own cross. And then he was crucified on the cross, bearing all of your wrongs and all of my wrongs. And said three days later, he would triumph. And he did. So will you follow Jesus today? You know, I've been on the cycle of acquiring the world in my life. As a matter of fact, I think I still kind of struggle with it. I think in my mind, you know, I'd be a really good wealthy person. I'd give a lot of money away, you know. Um, and, uh, or I think, you know, I'd be, very, I'd be a very benevolent dictator or powerful person. I would make it worthwhile for everybody else and for myself. You know, I, I think about that and I'm like, I would like to acquire the world and then take care of the world once I got there. But let me tell you about something. I encountered a king whose riches are beyond comprehension. And a king whose power is absolutely limitless. And his fame is absolutely worldwide. He owns the whole world and everything that's in it. He commands the starry host and every creature. He maps out the weather patterns and he maintains the course of Earth's orbit around the sun. All of creation is declaring his name. That's how famous he is. And I may try to gain the whole world, but he made it, he owns it, and he's holding it all together. And in encountering this God... Who made it and made it all and still loved me in my sinfulness? Then I have decided that I would rather follow him than my own desires. I would rather follow nothing or no one else than him. Because whenever he says, that's how you'll save your life, I know he means it. You know, there's no more pursuit worthwhile than pursuing him. Dying to myself and carrying a burdensome cross is worth it just to follow close. To Jesus, There is something better than acquiring the world. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that you are so much better than the world and anything this world has to offer. And I know that you are so loving that you made a way for me in my life to have a relationship with you and for every person here. And God, I could sing about that, talk about that, cry about that all day long. 
because it's so good. And Father, I pray that each person in here would deal with that same pressing issue of what are we going to do with Jesus. And as you minister to our hearts, Father, help us have the boldness to accept the conviction and to respond with commitment. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, I think that today is a day of decision for everyone in here. You know, many today need to reaffirm their commitment to take up the cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus. As saying that he's the single thing that matters most. And I think many people here probably need to commit to follow Jesus for the very first time. Realizing that you have a need for a Savior because you couldn't live up to the standards. But knowing that God loved you so much that he provided a way for you to have a relationship with him so that your eternity could be secure. You need to make that decision today. And that's what this time of commitment and this day of decision is all about. There's going to be some people standing down here. If you need to make a commitment like that, recommitment, maybe make it public. Or if you need to make a first-time commitment, say, I want to know. Or maybe you just say, I have questions. I'd like some answers. That's what we're going to be down here for. Some of you, it may be that you've been coming here for a while and you need to join the church. And you can do that as well. But I'm going to ask you to stand. The choir is going to sing. And as the, they sing, you come and you make those decisions.